Shalom, and welcome to the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators podcast series, Chanukah, Pesach, and Purim, Walk Into a Bar. Each episode, Rabbi Svi Hirschfeld will be joined by guest educators who will reveal the deeper meaning for each festival or year cycle event. The Talmud says when wine enters, secrets come out. So prepare to be intoxicated as our great educators each bring a text with them that encapsulates the spiritual essence and holy work of that time of year that will change our and our students' lives forever. Welcome to the bar. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Hanukkah, Pesach, and Purim Walk Into a Bar. It's still out of order, uh, where we are going to discuss uh, some Jewish texts and themes this week around uh, the topic of Purim. Uh, and I'm happy to uh, to share with all of you that we are joined not with by stodgy old Pardes faculty members who've been here for years and years, but uh, two of the best and brightest of uh, our students here at Pardes. Both of them are in the second year of the Pardes Educators Program and looking to uh, have exciting careers uh, in Jewish day schools in North America starting next year. So uh, let's introduce our uh, first contestant, not a contestant, first participant, first uh, co-learner, uh, Ari Weber. Um, hi, I'm Ari. I'm a second year uh, Pardes per- student. Um, I'm about to be beginning my student teaching at Heschel, um, and one of the preparations that we're doing was for Megillat Esther. So um, we came across a text that I really liked, and I wanted to share that with you uh, today. Um, the, the the text, the pasuk, the, the verse in in the book of Esther um, that I that really jumped out at me was in in the fifth chapter. I'll read it first in in Hebrew, and then. Um, I will I'll read it in English. It says in Hebrew, Vayhi Bayom Hashlishi Vatilbash Esther Malchut Vatamod Bachatsar Betamelech Hapnimit Nochach Betamelech Vamelech Yoshev Al Kise Malchuto Beveta Malchut Nochach Petachabai. On the third day, Esther put on royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, facing the king's palace, while the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room, facing the entrance. Of the palace, uh, and there there were a couple of uh, reasons that this uh, this verse jumped out to me. This seems to be like a really a big turning point in the story of of Esther. We see a lot of character development throughout throughout the Megillah. We start off with, with uh, Esther, who begins as a, her uh, her parents have died, and Mordechai takes her as an adopted or, or foster parent. We see Mordechai, uh, and then and throughout this throughout the the story, Esther. Um, uh, becomes then she becomes queen and then she helps to save the Jewish people. Mordechai stands up for his beliefs, uh, does not bow down to Haman. Eventually, also helps participate in the saving of the Jewish people. And then he becomes uh, the number two behind Ahasuerus in, in all of Persia. Um, we see that Haman also his his character development changes from being the leader. Um, then then has a sudden downfall. Um, but uh, one of the things that I really were really connected with was this idea of, of people being able to take agency of their own of their own choices. Um, people, the, the characters really, uh, re- really uh, having ownership of, of what it is that of of, the, of of what it is they want to do, um, and not just as a response 
to other people. And we see this really highlighting with, with Esther and, and Mordechai. In the beginning, in, in the, I'll just take a look first at Esther, and then we'll take a look at Mordechai. In the beginning, in the second chapter, where Esther makes her first appearance, like I said, she begins as a, a, fo- a she adopted kid or a, fo- a foster kid. Her parents is, have died. And then she's taken away um, to, to uh, the palace of King, Ahash, uh, King Ahasuerus. The, um, the word in Hebrew is vatilakach, and she was taken away. Um, all of uh, throughout the second chapter really seems like she has no agency. Everything is done to her, and all she's doing is a response to to uh, to all of her surroundings. Um, then her next appearance is in the fourth chapter um, when when Haman is is made this decree to um, to destroy all to kill all of of the Jews in in Persia. Um, and Esther makes another appearance, and she has, she has a conversation with Mordechai. Um, she doesn't. It seems like she doesn't quite know exactly what's going on. Um, but again, uh, unlike in the second chapter where she really had no agency, here she starts to take a little bit more control uh, of of her of her of her actions. She she the the, ver- the verbs are active verbs as opposed to passive verbs in the text. Um, uh, but again, in chapter four. She still has not really taken ownership of her own life. It seems like all, even though they're active verbs, they're in response to what Mordechai is telling her to do. Mordechai is informing her of the situation. Mordechai really is in control of the situation. And Esther, even though she's playing an active role, it's really in response to what Mordechai um, is doing and what Mordechai is saying. And then we see in chapter 5, beginning with the first verse, and this is what I wanted to point out, that Esther puts on her royal clothes and then she decides that she is going to, she takes action and she helps to help save the day. And what, what really was highlighting for me is the fact that Esther puts on these royal clothes. It seems that her putting on royal, these, this, these royal clothes helps her to really discover her true self, really discover her identity. Um, uh, and and then take ownership and agency of her destiny. And once she puts on these clothes, the rest she she dictates the rest of the story. She invites Ahasuerus and Haman to the to to the parties. She she tells Ahasuerus that really it's Haman on who's out to destroy her own people. She plays an active role beginning in chapter five until the end of the story. And it seems that putting on these royal clothes really is that key that allows her to. Um, not just not just not be a passive role, but really take agency. Um, and so you can see that actually, like putting on special clothes and clothes of royalty, can really have a really powerful impact on somebody. What's interesting, though, is that if you take a look at Mordechai, it seems that maybe the opposite is happening, and that Mordechai, in the beginning of the story, is really taking agency of his own life. He adopts. Um, Esther, he decide he's not going to stand. Uh, he's not going to bow down to Haman. He st- remains standing even at um, great risk to his life and the life of the Jewish people. He dis- he tells Esther that really uh, that that this is really something really important. Esther has to uh, save the Jewish people. It seems that Mordechai, in the beginning of the story, really has a tremendous amount of agency, and the verbs also active verbs seem to suggest that as well. However, later on in the story, um, twice, Mordechai has to put on uh, royal garb. Once is when Ahasuerus wants to um, reward him for saving, for, saving, uh, for saving the king's life. 
And the second is at the end of the story where he becomes second in command, where again he puts on all these these royal clothes. And it seems, however, that when Mordechai in the beginning, where he has he has con- taken control of his own destiny, when he puts on the clothes of royalty, all of a sudden takes a passive role, and we no longer see Mordechai having an active voice. And so there's this really like strong contrast between putting on the royalty clothes that when Esther does it. And that helps her to become to her true self. And when Mordechai has those same royalty clothes put on him, it prevents him from really taking agency of his own life. And I think that, that with the story of Purim, where we have this, uh, have this idea of wearing costumes and wearing different clothes, it's really an, uh, a powerful message. Is our clothes, our, our costumes, our, our clothes of royalty, are they preventing us from being who we are and taking agency? Or are they enabling us to really take ownership and develop confidence to take control of our own lives. So, Nati, what did, uh, what did uh, Ari's uh, choice of text and uh, what he did with it, what did that evoke for you? What's your reaction? The first, um, the first text that comes to mind was is there's a Midrash or a Gemara that says, Vatil Basha Ester Malchut, that when Esther puts on her clothes, it says... Right? What does she mean? Royal clothes. She's a queen, but she actually put on ruach hakodesh. She put on the holy spirit. She put on some something not physical, which maybe is is what you're going for. Is that putting on clothes also as a as a as a emotional? Um, I don't know. It 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 does emotional. It, it makes us change emotionally. It makes us act different ways. Um, and I think I see that with with teenagers today, with kids, when you, they decide to put on one article of clothes over another, when they decide um, what they're going to wear when they go out, um, if they want to blend in, if they want to be more outgoing, when we're dressing for a job opportunity, I think clothes is such a very um, clothes is a very important part of of our inner selves. But even though that it makes it's kind of a paradox, right? Because the clothes is not me, it's what I put on me, but maybe it is me at the same time. It really does. It raises, and it, I mean, I think what you're saying about clothing is true, that on the one hand, the to choose how I dress is seen as a real opportunity for self-expression and for me, like you said, to have agency, to make choices about who I am. On the other hand, our clothing sends a message to the outside world, right? How we dress will affect how other people treat us and look at us and engage us. So it's this interesting, it's like this barrier, this line that works uh, in both directions. It can be an opportunity for self-expression. It could also be uh, an opportunity to affect how other people view me. You know, if Esther shows up uh, before the king, perhaps in, you know, a bathrobe, maybe the whole story doesn't go as well. And if Mordechai is not dressed in those kingly clothes when Haman is leading him around, Maybe, you know, he, he never, the Achashverosh never sees him as a second in command, as somebody who's worthy of leadership. So it's interesting how it moves in those uh, different directions. What, what would you do with this, Ari? Uh, how would you use this as a teacher? Like, what would you imagine being uh, a message or a question you'd want your students to struggle with because of this? Um, it's an interesting question. I think that the contrast between using clothes as a way of expressing yourself and using clothes um, that actually hide who you are, I think that question is really relevant um, to, it's relevant to me, but I think it's also relevant uh, to, to students that 
that, that like you said, um, are dealing with people are looking at their clothes. It had, people are defining other people by their clothes, but also to turn turn around and say, well, no, this is how I am going to express myself, um, and to really to really to, to internalize. Um, that message of like, am I wearing for other people, and am, am I wearing to hide, or am I wearing to really be who I, who the re, the real me? Um, and and I think th- those are interesting. I think for me, those are really interesting questions. I think also students uh, are are facing those challenges either um, either like explicitly or implicitly. Who is the real Esther? Is she the one with the malchut, or is she the one before? Is like. Will the real Esther please stand up? She should really stand up. Okay. Speaking of, well, we're sitting down, actually. We're not standing up. But I should have introduced you earlier. We have uh, Nati here, uh, who will first tell us about who you are, uh, and then you'll share your text with us about Purim. Sure. Um, Nati Kanovsky. I grew up in Borough Park, Brooklyn, New York. And when I was 13, I made Aliyah with my family to Rehovot. Um, Did the... Modern Orthodox path, went to high school, has their yeshiva at Kush, a um, few more stops in the way, um, and now I'm at Pardes. And I also will be going to be teaching in, um, in American Atlanta, and part of what they asked me to do was to maybe teach the mitzvot of the Chag. Um, one of the mitzvot that is most appealing and um, also under the most... Um, Tension or contention um, is the mitzvah of getting drunk, and I want to bring in a passage from the Masechet, uh, from the tractate of Megillah, Daf Zayin Mudbet, Seven B. Amarava Mechayev Inish Lipsumi Befuraya. Rava says a man must um, get drunk, get intoxicated on Purim. Adeloyada Ben Aruhaman Nebaruch Mordechai until he doesn't um, know the difference between. Cursed Haman and blessed you, Mordechai. Uh, this this passage has always fascinated me because why why sh- getting drunk is not a good thing. Um, not to know between Aruhaman and Baruch Mordechai, not to be able to judge between right and wrong, um, doesn't seem like something that, that that our religion, our our tradition wants to preach. Therefore, we also have a story in Agadita right after that telling us about Rabba and Abizera, who both um, decided to do a Purim meal together, and then one, and then he got drunk, and I forgot who it was. Rabba um, slaughtered, killed Rabizera the day afterwards. They woke up, um, saw what happened. He prayed to God, Rabba prayed to God that Rabizera would come back to life. He came back to life. The next year, Rabba tells Rabizera, hey, Rabizera, let's do this again. And Rabbi Zera went to him and said, eh, Not every day a miracle will happen, or as they say in, in modern, in Hebrew, Not every day is Purim. So, so the Gemara already feels the tension between this imperative to get drunk and, and then this story of maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Um, and then the question is, where does Rava get this thing where we have to get drunk on Purim? What's his source? So I heard this um, interesting thought from Amicha Goodman, where he he goes to the for back to the first person in Tanakh that got drunk, which would be Noach, right right after the Mabul. Um, 
Noach goes, it says, Vayachel Noach Isha Adama, Vayita Karem, Noach went out um, and, he, and he planted a vineyard. He drank um, from the wine and he got drunk and he uncovered himself in his tent. So another clothes cloth, cloth, um, plug-in. So yeah, so, no, so Noach got drunk and he got drunk and the, the, what happened afterward, afterwards is that he just took off his clothes. What happened right afterwards? He woke up and he... Um, knew exactly what happened, and he goes, Arul Kenan Eved Avadim Yelechav, cursed is Kenan, um, you will be a servant to his brothers, but, and Baruch, Bayome Baruch Adonai Eloi Shem, Vichanan Eved Lamo, but blessed is, um, is Shem, um, and Kenan will be his slave. So we, here we have also the textual connection between Arul and Baruch, blessed and cursed, just like the Gemara. So maybe Rava was taking it from Noach. Then let's ask the next, what, why did Noach get drunk? Like, where is this coming from? So maybe Noach is going even farther back. Like, Noach is maybe going to the Adam Rishon. And with Adam Rishon, we have this, um, he wasn't allowed to eat from Etzadat, right? Because Etzadat was the thing that, Etzadat Tovera, the, the tree of knowledge between, that you can discern from good and bad, the tree of judgment. But the second they ate from the tree of judgment, from the tree of knowledge, they understood that they were naked and they wanted to put on clothes. So it's interesting when when I'm able to discern, when I'm able to discern between good and evil, I can no longer be naked. Maybe naked is, is, is what refers to our authenticity. When we're just, when we have nothing else, it's just us. But when we can discern from good and bad, we have to start putting on clothing. Maybe when we get drunk is when we want to go back to that place where there was no judgment. So, and, and I, we see by Noach, he took off his clothes. But I think a lot of our tradition is trying to tell us, go forward, go forward. You don't always, don't go back to Gan Eden. Gan Eden. We were not supposed to go back to Gan Eden. And it's interesting about judgment. Um, there's a lot of that going on nowadays. And yeah, we put on clothes to maybe... Um, tweak the judgment a little bit to maybe um, fake how people are going to or, or coerce people um, to judge us a certain way maybe also to judge ourselves a certain way and and it's, I think just plugging with the same thing about what you said about how Ari how what we put on is both a a maybe we're try, sort of a fake it till you make it um, towards the outside world and also towards ourselves. And I think a lot of times we miss out with the inner um, judgment, how clothes affect our inner judgment. And we always think about how it affects the outside world. And just a fun fact, I, I was reading online that there's a psychological um, paper about how when people put on doctor's coats um, and they take, te- they, they, take a certain, they take some tests, they answer twice as, their, their marks are twice as better than people that don't wear doctor's coats. So, I mean, clothes actually... <clears throat> Um, do affect um, intelligence, emotion. Okay, Ari, what's uh, your, your reaction to uh, Nati's text choice? It seems to fit in some ways your point. Well, maybe in reverse, Nati seems to be in favor of, of us uh, drinking and taking our clothes off. I'm wondering if that's your takeaway. Only inside the tent, like Noah, right? Okay. Very good. <laughs>
I'm wondering if we should rename the podcast Closed Encounters. Um, or closed reading of the text. A closed reading of the text, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's in- interesting, though, that, we, that the parallel of, um, of what you wear helps, uh, um, impacts how you, how you present yourself. Um, yeah, but like we said, also, there's this component of how other, others perceive you. And I, I'm just wondering, here you, you, you talked about how, how this impacts your view, but is there is that component that, um, of the clothes impacting uh, others' perception and whether or not that should be taken account when you... It's interesting that the Chag, right, the, we, we dress up on Purim, we put on masks on Purim, but on the other hand, we also get drunk, which sort of takes off the inner mask that we put on. And there's this, again, so are we putting on these masks in order to hide whatever will come out when we take off the other mask? Or are they both just a part of how we constantly live our lives? It's putting on, taking off. But in a way, the putting on a costume and taking off our clothes, you know, metaphorically speaking, has the same effect, right? We're, not, we're no longer in our normal uniform. We are no longer giving people the opportunity to judge us according to this external. The costume just makes it all blurry and funny, but we can know nothing because you see a person in costume and they're in costume. They're not them. Uh, and maybe it's a comment how when, when we see each other in our regular day-to-day lives or our outfits, we're not really who we are. Uh, at the same time, the idea that we only do this once a year, I think, is, is interesting. Like, on the one hand, to get down to our real selves uh, and without judgment, just be who we are, our natural state, uh, there's something very powerful, but obviously also something very dangerous, right? That uh, maybe let we, it's important we have that judgment about good and evil, that we have an ass- a self-assessment of ourselves, uh, what's positive and what's negative, and that we sort of maintain a certain control of that. But maybe once a year, this idea of just embracing the whole self, this is me, no judgment, stripped away, if you will, of all those other lenses and uniforms, uh, that maybe once a year it's very important to, to have that moment uh, for ourselves in our tents alone. So yeah, <laughs> so you have on the one hand anonymity, right, which is the putting on the costume and inhibition or or the lack of restraint, which comes from alcohol. It seems like God is giving us a lot of responsibility, or the rabbis are giving us a lot of putting a lot of responsibility on us. Saying the two things that can lead you to be the least responsible human being, which is anonymity and and no inhibitions um, which comes from getting drunk so do that together on the same day with everyone else doing that on the same day so of course the big question is as an educator and with all the issues of alcohol and drinking how do you want to approach this without appearing to give license to all of your 14 and 15 year old students to go get drunk and say oh my teacher told me this is a great idea it's not harder to stay to or when a, te- a kid's going to approach you because he, he read on uh, online somewhere that you're supposed to get drunk on Purim and uh, he wants to observe Judaism so he's going to go get hammered uh, what's your, how are you going to manage that how are you going to handle that it's a great question for the PCJ network um, wow I've been asked this question before. It's not the first time I've brought this up. And because the drinking age is 21 in America, it's even even more even more complicated than it is in Israel, where a couple of years anyway, we'll be doing it. I think 
that there isn't something. I mean, we're not we're not a, a religion of 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 nizir of nizir of itnazrut of ascetic. We're not an ascetic self denial. Yeah, um, tradition and religion, and alcohol is good um, in moderation. I think that's what the Gemara is trying to tell us. Also, with the story, this agadah that's coming right after the mechayev inishlipsumi, the person a man has to get intoxicated is that it can lead to to to, to, to not good things. And maybe maybe it's the fact that we do have meals together. That Rabbi and Rabbi Zera decided to have a meal together um, and in a certain misgeret, in a certain framework. These things, I mean, I remember in high school, I would go over to my rabbi's house um, and we would have a sudat purim and we would drink wine and it would, be, it would all be in a framework that my parents felt comfortable with, I felt comfortable with, the school felt com- comfortable with. But then again, it really, it, it's, it's, it, I guess it really depends on what the school and what the, and what the community decides is, is, is warranted because just Purim is very different in America than it is in Israel. So I wouldn't, when I get there, maybe next year I'll have a better answer for that. Right. I, I think it's also interesting you talked about this once a year idea that um, it's full expression um, and... and I don't know, full exposures, so to speak, in your in your tent by yourself, like you mentioned. Um, but 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 also, it's it's once a year, and that that shows that there is still still some restraint that needs to be shown. It's not for the rest of your life. This is how you should you should behave. There are moments there are, uh, that that allow for us to develop and be be our full selves, and 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 there are moments where that's not appropriate. Um, and I think that that actually is really important. The fact you said just just once a year. There are certain times when that can be allowed, and there are certain times, the vast majority of time, where we say no, 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 no. Really, we shouldn't be doing that. And I think that it's okay to highlight the the second component um, as a principle for for high schoolers or and um, saying this this is not the appropriate moment. There will be a moment, but right now, that's not where we're at. Sort of like a purge. For a Jewish purge, but in the in the emotional or in the emotional sense, where we're getting out our inhibitions that we have to let out, but that once, that, but once a year, and not yet, and not yet, <laughs> in a safe, controlled, and uh, adult environment. Got it. So uh, the text that that I chose actually not far from the in the Gemara where Nati's text is, it describes how Rebbe sends uh, his students this special you know, lamb, a three-year-old lamb, like a leg of lamb, and this very special aged wine. And the student sends back, you've not only fulfilled the mitzvah of sending food one to another, mishloach manot, which is, a, which is one commandment of Purim, but you've also fulfilled matanot levionim. You've also fulfilled gifts to the poor. And what I think the student is saying is basically, you sent champagne and caviar to people who don't have any money. Right? It's clear you don't know how life is for us and you don't know how we're living. And, and my takeaway from that is that I think what we're doing on Purim, this sharing of food and taking care of the poor uh, that are central to uh, the mitzvot, the commandments of Purim, I think it's an example of how you build community. Right, The Jewish people are in the diaspora. We're in Persia for this story. Uh, and this is how you build community. You have to care for each other and take care of each other and look out for the weak and the poor. And that's a fundamental element, right? By sharing food with each other, we end up ideally having this one great meal together, 
right? Like you mentioned, Nati, this idea of framework, that uh, it's not meant to be done in isolation. Maybe that's Noah's mistake as he gets drunk alone in a tent instead of having a nice meal with all of his family. Uh, he, and, and maybe that's where part of the problem is. And so this idea that we have to be in, uh, sharing this meal in relationship to each other. And I think in a way that story is a comment on how going through the motions or just fulfilling the requirement uh, isn't, doesn't do enough, right? That you can do mishloch manot, send food to other people. You can give uh, a few dollars to the poor and in change on Purim, but somehow that's not what we're really trying to do. That's like a technical fulfillment of the requirement uh, that doesn't uh, get the job done. And I think in a way, uh, the Gemara is making fun of itself. It's only making fun of Rebbe, that uh, you can fulfill the requirements, but you may not be fulfilling what's really behind those requirements. And I think that fits with what you're saying about Purim, about getting to the essence, uh, that we that it's we want to pay particular attention to not just focus on the ritualized details, but to really pay close attention to what these details are trying to get to. And I think that also fits your theme of, of masks and clothing about how we have to look deeper. Uh, we can't uh, look at the surface. We have to look deeper. And that's true of our religious behaviors as well, right? We can't, uh, we can't, we shouldn't turn Purim into, an, in, into a time where we functionally or ritually fulfill these requirements without really digging deep into uh, this challenge of what does it mean to, uh, to build Jewish community in the diaspora in an, area, an era without prophecy, without a temple, uh, and to take those questions really seriously. And I think educationally, we could certainly ask our students, you know, what does it mean to be part of a Jewish community? What, what, what's, what, what obligations do you carry? What kind of help or support can you expect? Uh, and, and, and challenge them to dig deeper than I belong to a synagogue or I belong to a JCC. I'm not knocking those things. They're important. But to, to dig a little deeper, what does it really mean to be a part of all this and to take responsibility for it? Uh, you know, in the Purim story, the Jewish people are threatened together. They fight together. They celebrate together. And then they decide they want to somehow hold on to that moment in some way. So what what would that look like? What would that type of connection look like and feel like? And how would we demonstrate it, you know, beyond putting a candy bar and a few homentashen in a plastic bag and giving it to our friend? Which, by the way, I love candy bars and we'll homentashen. Right. And give it to so, our friend. Right. And then, right. then if you're really lazy, you just simply take that card out, put your own card in and pass it on. Uh, right. What does it really look like to uh, really be invested in wanting to share a meal with your entire people or to take care of the poor of your people. So, uh, reactions, critique, vociferous complaint. I'm just, I'm just, it's interesting that you say you're sharing with the entire people and maybe, maybe there's some component of not knowing the difference between, uh, Haman and Baruch Mordechai is that when you're sharing with the entire people, there are things that you may not like about people in your community, but right now the, the primary focus, um, is about sharing and being part of a community. And I'm, uh, for, th- for today, one day out of the year, like we said, um, I'm, I'm going to put those things aside because there's something of greater value and that's being together as a community. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm just wondering what, what the modern-day equivalent of Mishloach Manot should be um, if to, to sort of um, equate what Mishloach Manot meant back then. It was... Right. It was to make sure that everyone was able to take to participate in the joyous day of that of that holiday, and maybe today food 
in general. Um, I don't know, maybe, does it stay in the Jewish community? Does it, does it, does it go out of the Jewish community? Is it, um, does it have to be food? Are there other things that people don't have and therefore they can't really participate in the joy of Purim um, that's not food? And I'm just wondering um, what schools can do, what, what parents can do um, educationally, like, like bar mitzvahs. I've, there's a trend of bar mitzvahs being moved from party bar mitzvahs to donating the money that would have otherwise gone to the bar mitzvah to other is there something on those lines that maybe can happen? Um, because there's just too much candy. Um, That's true. There is too I, much I candy. Say, no, I didn't say there was too much candy, just for the record. All the there candy. Right. The there's a lot of candy. And it's all this uh, baked goods a month before Pesach. It's kind of like very bad timing. So I want to just ask each of you, based on what you've heard, this is a hard one, how do you hope your Purim to be even a little bit different this coming year? Not, I was pointing at Nati, so does that mean Nati has to go first? Apparently so. I, I guess I can point to, to Tzvi also, right? If that's I get to go last. <laughs> that's, that's the privilege of being the host. How has my perm changed? How would you want it to be? a little bit Based on what you've heard or what you thought about beforehand, how would you like it to be a little bit different? How would you like it to affect you? Maybe, maybe my choice of costume... Um, I don't. I, we laugh. Like we laugh, and we think it's like not serious. But but I, I really do think like there's there's this, there's parts of me that I, that I I want that I think are there, or I want to see if they're there, and I want to see if 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 they have a place, if it feels right. And maybe like you said, maybe not most days aren't a good place to try these things out. Maybe sometimes it's a it's a it's a good place to try and 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 be more mindful of why and how I'm. Um, putting on my costume, what costume I'm taking. Um, I've always been a very um, cynical advocate. Like, I've been very cynical to costumes since I've been married or since I've been going out with Shelly. It's always been, it's never been up to me also what I've been wearing. Finally, I'm going to be in Purim, um, Purim in America by myself so I can choose. This so now if you're the back end of the horse, the costume won't make any sense. <laughs> but yeah, but, but I like... Why not take this 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 integral part of Purim and be more mindful about it? Make it and, and actually have um have it mean something. Um, long lines of costumes. Um, I have a different costume every year, but part, over the last few years, part of my costume has been to let my my payouts out as far as I can to totally un uncurl them um, and let just let it go wild. And then also there's like a measurement to see how long my payas have, have grown um, since the last Purim when it was the last time I took a picture of it. Um, and I've noticed that the last uh, couple of years that it seems like the, the payas are the same length. And I'm wondering if that's also maybe as a reflection of my own spiritual growth and maybe this Purim I'll uh, have to re-examine that a little bit more. <laughs> okay. So we're both going to measure the payas and you're going to measure your spiritual growth. That's going to be the distinction. That's really good. I think uh, I need to focus less on the sort of the party, food, drink, the production element. You know, in the past, I've invested a lot of time in figuring out what's the most fun thing to serve at the Purim Suda, what's the most exotic thing, the foods that we don't have, the foods that doctors say we should never eat, and so on and so on. Uh, and I, I think that uh, that's drawing too much energy, and I think that this idea... Uh, of going in, of viewing people without judgment, that it's not about losing our moral character on Purim, but not not labeling, you're a Haman, you're a Mordechai, and so on, but really opening yourself up to all the people around and trying to develop a real sense of acceptance, uh, which 
unlike the other elements of Purim, I would like to take with me after Purim for the rest of the year uh, might be a really interesting thing to focus on and a little less focus on meat pies and fancy red wine or the other things that, uh, that seem to come up. Uh, good vegetarian options vegetarian also for options. those who Shout out to who vegetarian want. options. Okay. So uh, <laughs> thank you both very much for your time, your energy, your Torah. Uh, I'm sure all of our listeners are excited to hear about your wonderful career as Jewish educators and changing the lives of uh, North American Jews of all ages. Uh, and we look forward to sharing another uh, episode of this wonderful podcast with you, where we'll be focusing on Pesach, I'm assuming. I'm looking at Ruvain, who's our uh, editor-in-chief, and Pesach, indeed, will be the next one. Thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful, joyous, meaningful Purim. For more great content, go to elmad.pardes.org. See you next time.